Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. If you're new here, so happy you are here with us this morning. My name is Matt, and I have the joy and honor of being the campus pastor here. Uh, we are in week three of our series, I Can't Believe, looking at the four big objections that um, you or maybe someone you know has to faith and why they can't believe in Jesus. And so we're kind of walking through that through the Gospel of John, seeing what Jesus uh, would have to say about that. And maybe as you've been sitting through this series, uh, and maybe you're a believer and you're wondering, I don't really know why we're talking about this. I already believe. This doesn't relate to me. Um, I would um, say back to that, really, the entire Christian walk is learning to believe the gospel. That at every stage, no matter whether it's been five minutes or 50 years, really what we are all trying to do is understand and believe the gospel for the different parts of our life. That we wouldn't section off things that aren't related to the gospel. That it would really, um, Jesus Christ on the cross would permeate through every part of uh, our life. Because the word believe um, really talks about, and the, the meaning behind it is to put your weight on something. To not just know that it's true, but to put your weight on it. It's the difference between believing the parachute works and having the courage to actually jump out of the airplane, right? And so wherever you are in your life, there may be some particular sections of your life that you know God would be good, right, and true, but you haven't jumped out of the airplane in that area. You haven't put your trust in him in that particular part. So that's what we're talking about um, this week, and we're looking at a group of people that Jesus is going to interact with that we're going to call the short-sighted this morning. Now, we're going to be in John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But in John chapter 6, what you're going to discover, what you're going to see, if you don't have a Bible, no problem, it'll be on the screen. But what you'll see uh, as we look at these individuals is there's a group of people who we're going to find a lot in common with and that our culture is going to find a lot in common with. And, and that's because they didn't really quite understand something. They thought they knew what their problem was, but really they missed what their real problem was. This group is full of really, really good people. It's full of people um, with good intentions, many who would probably even call themselves Christians, but have missed something. So this group is full of people who believe that really, by and large, if we were to bring them into our century today, that if the government would just stay out of our business and we were free to rule and reign as we wanted democratically, then all would be good. This group is also full of people who believe that if the rich would just pay their fair share Give it to everybody else. There'd be prosperity to go around, and then we'd be good. This group is full of social activists and people fighting for good causes and people with degrees and using their jobs to do great things in the world, but yet they've missed something. They've seen the world around them. They've seen the needs, and it has become a misguided notion. And so what we're going to look at really is something that I think we all will relate to, whether you are a believer or not. See, John chapter 6 opens with a problem. The problem is people are hungry, all right? This is not just a problem about food. What we're going to discover is that this hunger really is what Jesus is going to lean in on, and it's the same hunger that causes many people to miss Jesus. It's the same hunger that causes many people to fall into this category in the first place because there's some sort of appetite that's not being satiated. So John chapter 6, though they really are just hungry because what's happened is Jesus has been talking um, all day. He started after breakfast and he preached straight through lunch and preached right into dinner time. So you think my sermons are long when I go past 31 minutes, but I tell you what, I got eight hours of things to say today. Let's go. We're skipping lunch. Just kidding. I'm starving. So we're not going to do that. All right? <laughs> the, the people are hungry, okay? So um, Jesus is teaching straight through. He kind of comes to a little break, and he goes backstage, if you will. He just kind of goes away with his disciples, and he says, they're hungry. What are we going to do about it? And he kind of 
puts the disciples to the test on how they're going to solve the problem of hunger. And what you see is they really try to look to themselves to solve the problem of hunger. And Jesus says, you've missed it. But thankfully, along comes this little boy and his Hebrew happy meal with five loaves and two fishes. And so Jesus opens up the happy meal and then just starts multiplying it. And he feeds the 5,000. It's this incredible miracle. Um, Everybody gets to eat. And then there's 12 bushels of food left over, signifying symbolically to them that Jesus has more than enough in him to satisfy everything that the crowd could ever want. But they don't see that. So I want you to go ahead and turn me to John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 14. This is one of the longest chapters in the Bible, so we're not going to read all of it. But I would encourage you uh, later today to go home and and read through, or later this week, to read through John chapter 6 and see this for yourself. Verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So here's what's happening. These uh, group of Jewish believers or Jewish followers thought that this was the Messiah. So it's an Old Testament prophecy of someone who was going to come. He was going to take the government upon his shoulders. He was going to be king. He was going to squash their enemies and give everybody peace. And they go, this guy just made our welfare system look like a joke because he just fed 5,000 people with a Hebrew happy meal. Let's make him king. You saw what he just did with some bread. Could you imagine if we gave him power over our government, what would happen? Could you imagine if he was the one making our decisions? Let's make him king. So Jesus realizes this, and he does what most people would not do. See, he realizes that there is an appetite and a hunger in them that bread will not solve. And so he, protecting them from themselves and their own appetites, runs away to the mountain. So he withdraws, and the crowd's basically looking around, where did Jesus go? So in the night, he decides to cross the lake. He sent his disciples on the boat. You can read this for yourself. And Jesus miraculously walks across the water to the other side. All right? We don't have time to get into that. But basically, he he lands on the other side, and somebody somehow used the old school way of tweeting, which was gossip, and got word that Jesus is now on the other side of the lake. So it gets around to this group of people on this side of the lake. They go, oh, he's over there. So they leave everything, still have not gone home, run around the lake, and they find Jesus on the other side. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. They ask Jesus, how would you get here? And he doesn't really answer them. He goes to the question behind the question, which is, listen, I know why you're chasing me. You're not chasing me because you saw a miracle. You're chasing me because your appetite was satiated and it intrigued you. There was a hunger. There's an ache. There's something inside of each one of us that's intrinsic. And it's not just because um, we didn't have breakfast. It's an ache that there's something out there that I need to be satisfied. It's what you and I continually battle with, a hunger. And Jesus says, you're here Not because you had a good dinner, or not because you saw this, but because you had a good dinner, and you wanted more. And then he says, basically, you're chasing the wrong thing. You spent all night running around the lake to find bread that will one day turn moldy in your hand. 
you're trying to solve the wrong problem, essentially. So the question he poses them is really the question for us this morning, is are, are you living for something that spoils? Are you spending your time, energy, effort running around a lake chasing something that one day is going to turn into a moldy pile of bread, thinking that's what's going to solve it for you? Another way to ask this question would be this. What has become, what should be secondary in your life that you have made primary? As you consider the things you chase, maybe there's some things that are really good things. Maybe it's a good career move. Maybe it's the corporate ladder. Maybe it's the life of comfort. Maybe it's provision. Maybe it's your kids. And trust me, I got some cute kids. But the problem is, these things that were never meant to be primary, that were never meant to satisfy the ultimate craving of our soul can find their way into the primary seat of affection of our heart. And all of a sudden, these good things become God things, but what happens is the things we chase fade away, which is why the last promotion didn't keep you happy, which is why the last new car ultimately disappointed you, which is why the last partner still frustrated you, which is why your kids still weren't perfect. Shocker, they came from you. I don't know why that shocks us, right? It's all my kid directly defy me the other day, and I thought, I'm looking in a mirror, all right? I know where you got that. The question Jesus is posing to them is, why are you chasing something that's ultimately going to be moldy? Why live for that? See, the problem is there's a lot of really good things in our life, and Jesus wants to give us good things. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that, but these guys miss the real problem. Let's keep reading how Jesus interacts with them. On this point. Then they asked him, what must, we, what must we do to do the works God requires? Essentially, how do we get into this? How do we get this bread that you're talking about? And here's what he said. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And I want to park right there. They asked basically, how do we get into this? How do we get our needs satisfied? And Jesus said, this is it. This is all you have to do. Just believe in Jesus. It's just that simple. There's nothing more you have to do. Believe in the one he sent. Believe in Jesus. And what is their reply? Their reply is, what are you going to do to prove that you're it? Do you not remember six hours ago on the other side of the lake where I fed 5,000 people? See, what they have revealed here is that they are never going to be satisfied with enough signs. They just need one more thing to prove that God cares. Just one more time that God provides to believe that he's actually a God who likes to provide and loves to provide. One more time of God proving his love before you finally put to rest the fact that God loves you. You see, there is a craving in them for something and they don't even know what it is. But you also see in there a level of doubt. It says, my eyes are seeing, but my heart doesn't want to hear it because I don't know what problem I'm actually trying to solve. So they continue on. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. 
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. They say, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to never be hungry and never be thirsty? Give it to us all the time. Just follow us around and turn all our food into this food that satisfies. Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't give you the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I don't give you what you want. I am what you want. I don't give you what your heart craves. I am what your heart craves. See, the real problem wasn't something. It was someone. The real problem is they thought something external was finally going to solve their problems. But what Jesus just revealed to them here is this. There is nothing external this world or even God can give you that will satisfy you. There's nothing you can pray for that God will give you externally that will finally satisfy your heart. Pray for the new house. Pray for the promotion. Pray for more money. Pray, 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 pray. None of those things will ultimately satisfy your soul. Nothing you chase in this world will ultimately satisfy your soul. And that's his point to them. You're hungry, and you're going to the wrong place to solve it. Now, here's why they were going to the wrong place. Because they didn't understand that the problem was not an external problem, but an internal problem. The ache came from the fact that they were made for God, but in sin rebelled against God. And what they wanted more than anything was God, but they didn't know it, so they went to other places to try to satisfy it. See, the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. So change your circumstances. Change all that. You're still there. And it's still you at the end of the day. What can be a common misconception for this group, the short-sighted as we would call it, and I've found myself there at times, is that we miss that we're not good people who do mostly good things who occasionally mess up. We're not people who are mostly all right who just need a little assistance sometimes. We're broken on the inside. Beatrice Webb, a labor historian, and she was the one who kind of coined the term collective bargaining, did a ton of work as far as social reform and and how really the work world as you know it really was by and large kind of from some of her work. Um, She said this as as she got into kind of changing the social uh, work world. She said this, I stake everything on the essential goodness of human nature. So in her perspective, what she was saying is, I believe there's goodness in all of us, and if we could just get the right circumstances, then we could finally all get along and all be happy, and we'd bring the best out of people, which is a fallacy that some of us believe here today. If I could just get in the right circumstances, then I wouldn't have gotten angry like that. If I could just be in the right circumstances, then I'd finally be happy. But you know what's interesting? She said this in 1890, devoted her life to this work, and then 35 years later, this is what she says about this comment. I realize now how permanent the evil and instincts and impulses in us, that mere social machinery will never change. After 35 years of hoping the best, creating the best environment, she said, I realize the problem is not that we don't have the right set of circumstances. The problem is that there is evil instincts and impulses that are in us. The real problem is not there, it's in here. 
David Cecil, a historian biographer for, he's a British historian and biographer, after World War II was commenting on culture and society after the Holocaust, and he says this. The philosophy of progress had led us to believe that the savage and primitive was behind us, but it turns out that it was within us. We all thought, If we could just get to the other side and we could get the right people in power and we could get the right set of rules governing us and we could just, and we could just, and we could just, and we'd all be good. He says, no, 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 I realize that those things come from here. And so as we examine the solution to our problem, if we're not starting here as our problem, we'll try to solve the wrong thing, which is why we run to the things we run to, to try to make us feel better, Help with the craving. See, but your greatest need is not for better circumstances. Our greatest need is for God. Our greatest need is satisfied in God. And here's, that's our next point. I'm going to throw it out there. Here's what the point that Jesus is making. You can go wherever you want in life to try to find satisfaction, and you will only find bread that spoils. A new set of clothes, a new partner, a new situation, a new job, it will always leave you wanting more. It will always leave that craving. However, with a heart designed to be with God, in relationship with God, you'll find those things free and life-giving, but they'll no longer be primary in your life. Now, am I saying the things that this group, solving world hunger and being socially active and changing the oppression in this world aren't important to God? No, absolutely. They are incredibly important to God, but they're secondary, which is why Jesus didn't start a food bank right there on the banks of the the sea. He preached the gospel and then brought food because the gospel will fundamentally change us to do those things, but we can do all the social activism we want, and if the gospel isn't preached... We've missed something. I serve on a board for a community center that's trying to be started in Susquehanna County, and I sit on the board, and I hear these meetings, and I'm I'm having conversations, and I'm just thinking to myself, these are great programs. These are going to really, it's going to really help our community. It's going to do great things for that. But if that's all we do at the end of the day, we've missed something. We've missed something because these kids will think a better life is for them without what their heart really chases. J.D. Greer talking about, as a pastor and author, talking about this, um, this passage in this conversation says this. It says, what if we achieved every political agenda we dreamed of? What if we achieved peace in our time? What if the American dream became a reality for everyone? What if there was peace and justice for all? Next slide. What if we slow the rise of the oceans and heal the planet, and then our generation dies and goes to hell? That's an aggressive way to say it, but I think what he's saying is true. The reason these people miss Jesus is because they made all of those other things more important than the gospel of Jesus. And so social activism is incredibly important. In fact, if you look historically, uh, any nation that has believed in Jesus and walked in the ways of the scriptures has flourished. You look at South America, you look at parts of Africa that are believing in the gospel. The amount of things that are happening for the good of the common man is incredible. You look at the slave trades that were ended largely by Christian men on Christian values and Christian women on Christian values. Uh, up until just recently, every hospital in the sub-Sahara deserts of Africa was a Christian hospital. We personally, as Bridgewater Halstead, support uh, a leading hospital, one of the leading hospitals in West Africa with Hospital of Hope through Alan and Kathy Niles. 
But here's the deal. It's all secondary. And they know it's secondary. Because they could heal somebody's arm and not engage their soul, and they've missed it. See, what happens with this group of people is they're the type of people who walk into the emergency room. And on one side of their body, they have a hangnail. On the other side of the body, they're missing a limb. And they come into the hospital and say, okay, we need to address the fact that you have no arm. And they go, no, 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 it's the hangnail. The hangnail's the problem. (laughs) Sir, you're literally missing an arm. You're going to bleed out and die. I know, but this hangnail's killing me. Solve this. See, that's what it was like for this group of people. They came to Jesus, the great physician, and said, if you could just solve the hangnail of food and the hangnail of social justice, but we're missing an arm. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. We'll get to the hangnail. And now there's eternity on the line. Let's talk about that one. Let's deal with that one. I want you to see how Jesus kind of wraps up this conversation. Go ahead and skip to, to verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Let's jump down to verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Isn't it really interesting that Jesus has this huge crowd of people drawn in and listening and and craving and wanting the bread, and he says, listen, if you want in, just come up here and just take a chomp out of my arm, bite a blood vessel and drink the blood while you're at it. Like, that's a weird thing to say, Jesus, all right? That's not gonna pull well with a crowd weird. Why would you say that? Well, we understand now, looking back on it, that he was metaphorically talking about what was going to happen at the cross. Then unless you uh, believed in and understood and, and embraced the fact that he went to the cross to die a death that you deserved, which was his broken body, and to give you forgiveness, which is brought by his poured out blood, you had no life. We understand that now, <laughs> But they had no context or concept for that. They just hear this guy saying they're going to eat food and die, but unless you come eat him and live, like it's weird stuff. See, what Jesus is doing is he's he's revealing to them their short-sightedness and even this. But he then goes on to offer them eternal life. You live forever. Now, I don't know about you, but um, as I've watched enough movies, I see this theme over and over and over again that um, people try to find eternal life or they try to live forever. They try to cheat death and beat death and all those things. But if you've noticed this theme in movies and in literature, you'll see it, is that those who do crack it and live forever are usually really miserable, right? I think the most famous one is Captain America, right? Anybody know it? Come on, guys. Come on. Captain America, all right, where's my nerds at? Anybody like Captain America? Thank you, five of you, at least you'll be honest. All right, what, what I noticed in the Captain America movies was that as, as he lived forever, what eventually became true, and I forget which one, which video, or which movie it's in, but he ends up being miserable because everybody he loves ends up dying. Everybody that was close to his heart ends up disappearing. You see, what Jesus is drawing the distinction in here for them is the difference between existing forever and living forever. Because the reality is you and I are eternal beings. 
Our souls are eternal. The question is, will we just exist forever apart from God, which is the definition of hell, that we will be left to our own demise forever, or will we choose to live forever with the one our soul longs for, desires, and have eternal life? But the disciples hear Jesus say all this and say, why would you say that? Like, you had a crowd of people. Why would you send them away? But I want you to read John chapter 6, verse 66 with me. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They hear the hard teachings of Jesus. They understand in part what he's saying. And they were unwilling to look past their immediate needs to see the problem Jesus was really trying to solve for them. So they're offended. Their sensibilities are offended. I can't believe you would ever say that to us. So they pack their bags and they leave their only hope behind. Then he turns to the 12 disciples. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter makes an incredible confession here, and he says, listen, Jesus, where else are we going to go? We've tried that career thing. We've tried that success thing. We've tried that money thing. We've tried that accomplishment thing. And it all left us empty. But you, you've satisfied our soul in a way we never knew possible. You are the ones that we found eternal life in. You're the holy one. Why would we leave you? And that's the question for us this morning. When you look at Jesus, is he really the best thing out there? Is God and a relationship with him really the greatest need your soul has? Is it really what your heart craves for? Because if not, you will do what everybody did in verse 66, and you will go other places to find that need met. And the truth is, many of us do, myself included. We'll go to other places to try to satisfy the craving in our heart. We'll run to relationships. We'll run to intimacy. We'll run to food. We'll run to pleasures. We'll run, we'll run, we'll run, we'll run to entertainment. Why? Because there's an ache in each one of us. And I don't have to tell you about this ache. You know this ache. Nothing externally will ever solve that for you. But Jesus coming and changing what's on the inside. There's three invitations that we've given over the last couple weeks. The first one in week one was simply that you would look and live that when you recognize that, that need, that something's broken, the venom has bit you, you feel the angst that you would look to Jesus at the cross and find in him life and life abundant. And then we said if that was um, not enough for you, you needed more, Jesus invited you closer. And he said, come and see. If you have doubts, if you have wrestles, look at my hands. You'll see. Come and see for yourself that this is true. And the next invitation is if that's not enough for you, Jesus' invitation is take and eat. As the psalmist would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't believe it? Try it. Lean into the Lord with all your heart. Put your mind and heart into knowing the Lord and find your heart satisfied. The psalmist says, put him to the test. You don't think he's good because you've never drank of him. You don't think he's good because you've never engaged with him. You've pretended that he's out there and you've made a reason for why you can't or why you shouldn't or why he's not trustworthy. Well, of course he's not satisfying. 
But when you come and you understand his love and you feel his love and you give him a shot, there's no denying his goodness. So there's really two things for us here this morning. If you're here and you've never put your heart and mind into uh, believing in Jesus and accepting him, you're going to keep running. And I love you enough to tell you this. You're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to realize that all the things you chased have spoiled. I'm young enough, but I'm old enough. And I know enough people who've gotten there and have said, man, the things I chased just washed out. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Now, is God going to give you great things? Yeah, he's going to give you life and life abundant. But that desire really is for you to come to know Jesus. The second is for those of us who have committed our life to the Lord and have believed in Jesus, who perhaps have taken our eyes off of him, who perhaps in just the busyness of life and the angst and all this, we've just started to go eat at a different table. We've just started to try to fill up our hearts from broken cisterns, and we know it. And we know we've run there, but, but we're sometimes embarrassed to acknowledge that we've gone and eaten at another table. The invitation of Jesus has come back. In him, that you would walk in light. And in him, there is no darkness. And you'd find your heart, again, fully satisfied. See, the thing about Jesus is it's not a one-time interaction. It's why Jesus tells us to pray in the book of Matthew, give us today our daily bread. Don't be short-sighted and think he's just talking about dinner. Talking about today, Lord, give me a taste of you that satisfies my soul, that when I see the other things that will spoil, I don't need it because my heart is full of your love. I don't have to go to broken places because I'm full. Would that today be the move, the shift we make before the Lord? We're going to partake of communion together. Um, If you're here and you have not put your faith in Jesus, the word of God uh, would encourage you to let this cup pass. If you would like to know more about Jesus and what it means to have that angst and ache satisfied, we'd love to talk with you about that. But as I was reading through this passage and thinking about communion, I thought, I wonder how much of this conversation was going through the disciples' mind at the Last Supper. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he's, he's saying, this is my body, as he holds a piece of bread, it says, broken for you. I wonder, as they were sitting there, if they think, this is the bread of life. This is eternal life. This is what he was talking about. What this represents to us is not flesh that we eat and get saved. It's a Savior who went to the cross and was brutally beaten for us. The wrath of sin poured out on him His brokenness became our healing. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant poured out for you, which meant essentially this is the way that you get to God without having to worry about if you are good enough because it acknowledges we're not because it's broken inside. But this represents for us the sacrifice that makes us whole. So this is a blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you.
Lord, and as I did this morning, and I again acknowledge all the places my heart can go to try to find satisfaction outside of you. All the food that has spoiled that I have chased, God. Some of it good, some of it bad. None of it you. Lord, I pray that today you would reveal in each one of our hearts the things we're chasing that will just leave us empty. God, you as a good father would love us and point that out, that we would not chase emptiness, but we'd find life in you. We'd find everything our soul craves in you. I pray for any heart in here this morning who doesn't know you, who's skeptical about you. Um, God, that you would just make yourself so abundantly real. That it wouldn't be a chasing of one more signs or chasing of one more um, prove that you're true, prove that you're good, that we would in humility surrender to you today. Lord, as we sang earlier, and it's true in the book of Romans, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. We will one day see it. Lord, I pray that now we would all see it and share in the goodness. I pray for those here today who have wandered, who know they have gone to other places. God, that you would not um, allow shame to sit in on their heart, but they would put those things down and find in you everything their heart craves for. They'd find in you and a relationship with you a full and abundant life. Do you love to know more about Jesus? Please come find me, find somebody. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.